This is The Guardian. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. I didn't know that much about wolves before I went and I remember being very excited but also quite scared about the idea of being in a landscape with so many wolves. This is Phoebe Weston. She's a biodiversity reporter at The Guardian and she's lucky enough to have gone looking for wolves in the wild. We parked in this dark valley and had these infrared cameras. You could see there was a pack of wolves over the other side because of the heat they were producing. And then they started howling and it was genuinely absolutely amazing. It was such a loud, clear howl in a completely quiet valley. This whole trip we've been trying to find them and then to hear them so loud and present was just a reminder that they really are there, they're really close, but you just can't see them. The cry of the wild wolf hasn't been heard in Britain for centuries. But there are people who argue that perhaps it's time to bring the animals back to the areas where they used to roam. The idea of reintroducing big predators like wolves, bears and lynx isn't new, but it's certainly controversial. And the debate has been swirling for years across Europe and in the US. Advocates argue that apex predators have the power to regenerate entire ecosystems. But others are deeply opposed to the idea particularly farmers who are understandably concerned about wolves killing their livestock. So, what should we make of all this? Do wolves really have the ability to reshape landscapes? And should they make a return to the UK? I'm in Sample, The Guardian's science editor, and this is Science Weekly. Phoebe, we did used to have wolves in the UK, but now they're extinct, at least here. What happened to them? Wolves came over probably during the last ice age. They came over the land bridge from Europe and they would have been widespread in the UK. And then humans started persecuting them, basically hunting them. 
And also as agriculture spread and human settlements spread, the landscape became less wolf friendly. And so their numbers got lower and lower. And it's kind of disputed when exactly the last wolf was killed, but it was probably sometime in um, the 1700s. And if you think about all the stories we share about wolves, you can tell how fearful humans are of them, our fairy tales about wolves gobbling up grandmas or blowing down little piggies' houses. So I think that's really culturally been drilled into us. We've seen these efforts to bring back wolves to certain places. Where have they been reintroduced and why is it that people want to do that? They've been reintroduced into a handful of places in the US. The most famous example is, of course, Yellowstone National Park in 1995. But actually, wolves are really good at uh, naturally colonizing areas. And there's been no reintroduction in Europe, but wolves have naturally colonized basically the whole continent. There are wolves now in the Netherlands, in Belgium. So they've come back naturally. They're quite an expansive predator. In terms of why people want them back in the landscape, I think there's a sense of historical wrongs, the fact that we persecuted them and they should be there. And also the idea of restoring ecosystems. Certainly in the UK, there's a huge amount of talk about the potential benefits of reintroducing species and how they could improve the health of our ecosystems. So what's the thinking behind this kind of strategy of bringing in a wolf to try and improve an ecosystem? Yeah, so it draws on this idea of trophic cascades. If you reintroduce predators into the top of ecosystems, it has effects that trickle down the whole ecosystem right to the bottom. So bringing in the wolf has direct impacts in that it will kill animals. So in the UK, wolves would probably kill a lot of deer. And then there's a, another aspect, and that's called the landscape of fear. And that's how they instill fear in prey and how it changes their behaviour. Deer will be fearful of wolves, so not only will deer numbers reduce, but deer will be less likely to spend time hanging out in like open valleys where they may be particularly vulnerable to wolves. That gives saplings a better chance to grow. So things like willow and aspen before may have been heavily grazed by deer, they can now grow up. And as a result of that, you're going to get more natural regeneration across those valleys. And then that has knock-on effects like you might get more beavers, you might get more birds, more amphibians, fish. And then you can see how the whole system shifts. This idea that apex predators can kickstart this pretty dramatic type of rewilding that you've been describing is completely fascinating. We have heard scientists recently questioning whether it's really the case. And, and you've been speaking to researchers trying to understand the impact of, for example, the wolf reintroduction in Yellowstone National Park. I mean, what is the thinking now around what happened there? It's a complex picture. And I think that a simple story has kind of come out about Yellowstone. And initially, it seemed quite astonishing what was happening. So the wolves came in in 1995. They were the first ones that had been in that landscape for 70 years. So before the wolves were reintroduced, there were 19,000 elk in the northern range of Yellowstone. And this stabilised at around 6,000 in the years after wolves are reintroduced. 
This then created a much richer landscape. In the space of a few years, the aspen went from being like constantly grey, so not really regenerating at all, to having thousands of shoots. But what I've heard from sort of speaking to researchers about this, the story has very much fixated on the initial excitement that was seen but it doesn't take into account lots of other factors that now researchers are increasingly aware of. So researchers have had some time to you know get to grips with what happened in Yellowstone. What's the picture that's emerging now? Ecosystems are so complicated. They're really hard to study. Normally, if you're a scientist, you want to isolate your variables, have controls, have repeats, but you can't do that with an ecosystem. So there were other factors that could have impacted the changes in the park, such as the rising number of mountain lions and bears. There was also more human hunting in the park. And there were also climatic changes. And also the growing season was increasing as the climate was warming. So that could have been another reason why willow and aspen were doing particularly well at the time after the wolves were reintroduced. So it's probably understandably quite easy to look at Yellowstone after the introduction of these wolves look at the changes that they see and attribute that to the introduction of the wolves, even though many other things were going on that they perhaps early on weren't looking at. Exactly, yeah. And I think it's, it's a case of sort of causation and correlation. Other studies have gone back and looked at, for example, aspen regeneration. There was a paper published in 2021, which found that researchers had overestimated the natural regeneration by a factor of four. And that was because they were so excited by the areas that had regrown. They had a tendency to look at larger aspen rather than sampling totally randomly. And from your writing, Phoebe, it's clear that the, the press, us lot, the media, have had a hand in some of this perception of wolves being this sort of incredibly influential species. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great story. And I think that we do have a bit of a role in perhaps taking hold of these early stories and running with them. And actually, there's been less reporting on subsequent studies that have challenged this narrative because it's just less palatable. Phoebe, if wolves aren't the silver bullet, though, I'm wondering, are there other interventions we should be looking at if we want to rewild these landscapes successfully? It's a good question. I often think that we could embrace lots of the fantastic species we already have in the UK and maybe spend less time talking about wolves, but looking at all the amazing birds and insects and mammals that we do have. But unfortunately, I think our countryside is going to be made healthier by really dry policy interventions like better policies to create more environmentally friendly farming, more policies that mean that companies can't pollute rivers, better grants for planting trees. And it's all basically underpinned by money. And that's not going to sell a paper, which I think is, again, why people love the wolf idea. People really do love the wolf idea. But if the evidence doesn't stack up that wolves can restore ecosystems, does that mean we should just abandon wolf reintroduction altogether? I read this really interesting piece by an ecologist called Hugh Webster. There's so many question marks about ecologically how what the impact these animals should have. He says, actually, 
I think a much more compelling um, reason to have these animals back is for the human awe they inspire in us and like just how fantastic it would be to have them back in our landscape. And that's a value judgment. Like a sense of the wild, I think is so valuable. Having like the spirit of the wolf in, in our landscapes would be really incredible. But that's my value and that's totally subjective. And, you know, speak to a farmer who has a lot of livestock and that will not be their value. And it maybe seems like a weakness to acknowledge the fact that the science is complex on this issue, but it's possibly a strength as well because it will lead to more honest arguments and more honest conversations. Huge thanks for coming on, Phoebe, and taking us through all of this. Thanks, Ian. My thanks again to Phoebe Weston. This episode is part of a special series from The Guardian called Wild World, where we've been looking at rewilding efforts around the globe. If you missed Tuesday's episode of Science Weekly, Madeline Finlay took a trip to the south coast of England to visit a project rewilding seagrass meadows. Let's go and have a look at the site that you're trying to rewild. I'm really curious to see what it's going to look like in comparison to this seagrass meadow. OK, we're going to have to have a bit of a change of, change of foot there. OK. That. You can find links to all that on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com, where you can read lots more reporting on the topic from the biodiversity team. And that's it for today. The producer was Anand Jagatir. The sound design was by Tony Onachuku. And the executive producer was Lorna Stewart. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.